Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode 90 of Strangers in a Cinema. I am Paul Anderson here with co host Pete Wall and producer Jack Mills. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> We're back to our fucking gentleman lead in. Okay. We are. Uh, yeah, ge- gentlemen all in positions, ready to do another show. Exciting, exciting films, etc. Um, first part of the show, Paul, we usually do is in the foyer. In the foyer, we talk about something in the world of film. Before that, though, you asked how we were. Um, I did. I'm you, don't, you look tired, Pete. <laughs> I, I, well, I don't know if you can tell that because I'm sat ways away from the camera and I'm probably looking as sexy as ever. But I am <laughs> physically broken in half because last night I went to see the uh, heavy rock band Machine Head who saw fit to play three hours straight with no support bands. And um, just as we took position for the show in, in Bristol, we noticed that there was a six foot ten man wearing a T-shirt that said Pit Troll on the back, who apparently, I've now found out, has his own website. And he's basically like the Pit Destroyer, who goes in, the sort of juggernaut character to tie into today's episode, who goes in and just just smashes smashes fools. So, uh, yeah, that was it. He was a nice guy, by the way. I don't want to slander the Pit Troll. Um, I might get in trouble. What have you guys been up to in the last sort of 24 hours or so? Uh, nothing quite as exciting as nothing quite as exciting as that, to be honest. Uh, I've been away with work for a two-day meeting, so that was <laughs> thrilling. Oh, You'd be pleased to know. So yes, that very could be just as draining, though, in in its own way. I would. Uh, it was. It was. It was. It was enjoyable as as it goes. To be fair, there was there was uh, an entertaining evening of uh, drinks at the bar on one of the nights, so that was good. So yeah, I've had I've had worse meetings, shall we say? But yeah, that's where I've been. Jack, what have you been up to? Uh, so was I trouble, no doubt. Uh, what? Causing, tr- causing trouble, I imagine. Oh, causing trouble, yeah, of yeah. course. No, I um, I finished uh, season two of Atlanta last night, which was pretty good. Donald Glover's... Uh, Atlanta, of course, starring, uh, amongst others, Zazie Beats, who's in Deadpool 2, guys. I just can't help myself. I'm tying everything into the feature. Try and stop me. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen that show. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, I haven't seen it yet. Should I watch it? Yeah, yeah. There's two seasons. So. It's on BBC iPlayer okay. now. It, they've started running it on on BBC television two. Yeah, services. BBC oh, okay. Cool. Um, I should check it out. Paul, they call you Paul the Topic Generator Anderson for a reason because I believe you've generated yet another topic for discussion in the foyer. I what have generated. Got, what have you got, uh, man, I have for this. I have generated the topic. So this is the news that Lars von Trier uh, controversially returned to Cannes this year. Uh, for a screening of his latest film, of which the title has just escaped my mind. Uh, uh, the House of Jack Bill? Is it the House of Jack Bill, yes. So there was a screening of The House of Jack Bill in which uh, I believe somewhere in the region of 100 plus uh, journalists and audience members walked out of this film in disgust at certain events uh, that take place. Now, The House of Jack Bill, I believe, is about a serial killer um, yeah. played by Matt Dillon. And I think the scenes, uh, the scenes that people took offence to is while I believe he's hacking up his girlfriend, makes some comments that men are born to be victims uh, and or essentially persecuted against. So uh, I can cut, and this is apparently one of one of a number of controversial scenes that's caused this walkout. Now I don't know about you guys, but where I sit on this is if you walk out of a Lars von Trier film, you're giving the man exactly what he wants. He's uh, he is a character without a shadow of a doubt. I think think he's possibly i can't condone all of the things that he said 
I think a lot of it is said for effect. And I think if you're walking out of his films, he's, an, he's a provocateur and you're giving him what he wants. He's very good at that, shall we say. Where do you I stand? Mean, surely surely uh, walking, like mass walkouts at Cannes for Lars von Trier's serial killer film is just step one on the Lars von Trier PR tour for his new well, movie. Yes, exactly. I mean, this yeah. is not, to me, it was like, the, it was like anti-news. When, like not that he's without interest for discussion, but just like, I think it was Mark Kermode on Twitter sort of pointed out that it was the most inevitable thing in the world. And, and you know what those can audiences are like anyway, when it's kind of par for the course to boo the things you don't like, maybe even walk out for them, have like 15 minutes standing ovations. If someone knocked out something half decent. So I don't know, man, like I try and stay out of those discussions as much as I can. And try and take the guy's work on on its own merits or that or you know the lack thereof and so i'm looking forward to this but i'll probably try and avoid every bit of sort of pre-release stuff that i can um and then just just go in with sort of open eyes maybe no i see where you're coming from that one i think he's a filmmaker that does interest me i think he's made good films and bad films i think uh dancer in the dark for me was incredible i absolutely love that film york is superb in it despite the controversy that now has come out later that surrounds it um, but yeah, I just think you know, as as you've just said, Pete, it's 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 a PR, it's almost a PR stunt. Like now, now, you know, obviously, we're talking about it. It's in the film news. We're going to talk about it. But I kind of see where you're coming from. But the fact he's now, it's going to be one of the most talked about film at Cannes, even if it doesn't win any prizes. So I just think, yeah, like if you if you really want to make a protest against Lars von Trier and the content of his film, sit through it. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> don't but don't course, leave the film. I'm like, sure. Uh, I'm sure you're aware, Paul, that that our boy uh, Gaspar Noé has gone to the plate as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's taken his film to Cannes, which goes by the name of Climax. And as I put on social media, it's like, yeah, can I get like a pounding electro soundtrack, a load of gyrating bodies, potential alcohol slash drug abuse, uh, maybe strobe lighting and some kind of provocative title? Yes, you can get all of those, sir, because it's a new Gaspar Noé film. So, yeah, you know, you can get offended from more more than one direction on the, uh, on the what do they call that, that bit at, at Cannes? The... Uh, the word, I want to say corsage, but that's not the name of it. I don't no, know. it escapes me now completely. So on that subject, then, uh, chaps, um, is there any films you guys have walked out of? Have you walked out? Have you paid to see a film and then walked out? There would be. There's a question for you. I walked out of a film and went back into the film because I, you know, have a sort of level of self-loathing that allowed me to suffer the rest of it. And that was a date movie. I don't know if you can remember that one. But um, a movie that I didn't walk out of, but should have, probably, uh, was the Harmony Korine movie Trash Humpers that I saw at a festival. And, um, oh, it was just, just enraged me. But not in that way where I'm like all all hurt and sort of provoked by the guy because he's such a button pusher just because I found him to be so tiresome and like I still haven't caught up with trash humpers I have to say actually I still haven't caught up with just don't encourage that kind of behaviour (laughs) humping trash or Harmony Kareen making movies I mean take your pick on those two Um, what about you Paul have you walked out of a movie I I can't Uh, I kind of can't do it on principle no, I mean, I, I have done, I've done it twice, actually. In fact, yes, I've done it twice. So Alexander, uh, Oliver Stone's Alexander. Oh, that's, Alexander that's a dreadful um, Yeah, I just, I couldn't, I, I couldn't bear to sit through to the end of it. I just found myself very frustrated with the accents and the performances. Um, do, sorry, Paul, to, sorry to cut across you. But no, go on. On Alexander, uh, re, like true story, I didn't see that at the cinema. I saw it on uh, on DVD from Blockbuster. And it was yeah. so bad that I took it back to them and asked for a refund. And the guy said, fair enough, and gave me the money back. <laughs> so uh, totally with you on Alexander. Incredible. What's the other one? 
Incredible. The other one, uh, I mean, this this is partly my fault. I possibly possibly reviewed this on one on the show at some point, but I think I did half a review because I managed about half the film. Uh, this is Three Days to Kill, the Kevin Costner actioner from 2014. So maybe I didn't do it on the show, but anyway. So I vaguely so I walked into this. I hadn't realised it was a McGee directed film, so I walked into this. The credits rolled, and I was like, oh fuck. I'm sitting in a McG film. What have I done? And I got to about halfway through, and I realised I was desperate, desperate to the toilet. I went to the toilet, and without subconsciously, I left the toilet, went down the escalator, and walked home. It wasn't until I was about a quarter of the way home I actually realised I'd walked out of the film. So uh, yeah, I have zero regrets on leaving Three Days to Kill to the point where I didn't even realise I'd done it until I left the cinema. So uh, Maybe yeah, some like generous, <laughs> uh, generous projectionist or something had spliced a frame in or something like that that had the impact on people where they would just feel a compulsion to leave and get as far away from the film as they possibly could and it worked yeah, I mean, for you there's a number of films i kind of wish i could walk out of sometimes but obviously certainly since we started doing the show then it's uh, it would be remiss of us to to review films that we leave halfway through yeah, uh, so like, i think I now it? now i will sit through everything everything i watch i will now sit all the way through so that has its challenges at times but um, I, i've definitely i've definitely turned stuff off at home but that's kind of a different uh, ball game a little bit but like when i see people reviewing movies and saying like this was terrible i only lasted half an hour it's like you can't review can't it review it no seen it really 100 percent. yeah i I mean i now i will now everything i start watching i will finish watching which means i've sat through some absolute dross and even even if it takes me another even if it takes me like i fell asleep four times then i will eventually finish that film which basically i mean this happened to me this afternoon so i've been quite tired and i was watching the uh the rachel divide which actually isn't too bad the film you were talking about is it last week you were talking about it yeah and i fell asleep twice in it nothing to do with the quality of the film but my frustration is with this it meant that watching one film took me about three and a half hours because I kept waking up, rewinding it, waking up, rewinding it. But I did it. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know why I brought that up. It's not particularly interesting. But I quite enjoyed The Rachel Device. So thanks for that recommendation. But when, but when you woke up each time, you hadn't sort of like sleep blacked yourself up and decided that you were pan-racial no, or whatever. But, no, but dear God, is the end of that film dark. Yeah, it really is. Jack, when she uh, changes the name at the end, that was savage. Oh. Jack, we've left you out in the conversational cold. Have you walked out of a movie for any reason? Apart, like, t- like I say, turning it off at home, I think that's a different thing, but like walked out of the cinema during the film. No, I haven't actually, uh, surprisingly. Cause I've, I've... Have you come close? Like, Have you had that thought, like, I, c- I could do it? Yeah, mostly on like uh, dates with like random girls. Sometimes I feel like walking out, but... I haven't done that for a long time, so. So that's more like the company than the movie, maybe. Probably both, because it the movies. How the, can you fall out with someone in a film? <laughs> that's impressive, Jack. <laughs> they eat too much of the they popcorn, eat too much popcorn <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it just infuriates me. So I have to go. poor, poor cinema etiquette. They yeah, get their phone out or something yeah, yeah. like that. Yeah. Start chatting in your ear, something like that. What was that Seth MacFarlane Western? Because I really wish I'd walked out of that. Oh, uh, million ways to die in the West. Or million ways to die in the West. Oh, I really wish I'd left that film. That was uh, that was that's the that's the closest I've come to not to actually walking out and not it, doing it. Was it was not good. Charlie's Theron looked nice in it, but apart from that, uh, oh, and uh, what's her face? Minji um, was in it as well, wasn't she? Minji. Ne- never mind. The girl who's got Minji written on her foot. I've forgotten her name. She's in Mamma Mia. You know. She's a oh, Amanda Seyfried. Amanda Seyfried. And Sarah Silverman's quite funny in it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so enough of that business. We're going to walk straight out of this section, and we'll be back in a moment with popcorn movies. So. so- 
Oh, stepping oh. on each other's toes. Yeah, yeah. Paul, you go I'll, first. What have I'll you go got? first. You've got to eat, what right. have you got first of all for this week? I have uh, a film from 1979 directed by... Did I talk about Sailing to Luck last week on the podcast? No. No, I didn't, did I? No, I didn't. I put it on Instagram and I was going to watch it. I don't think I did. No, I don't think I did. Anyway, so this is... Uh, as I said, I've been away this week, so I haven't watched a lot. Uh, so this is uh, Salem's Lot, uh, 1979, Toby Hooper directed Stephen King adaptation that originally aired, I think, as a two-part miniseries in the U.S., uh, I know there's a number of different cuts um, around the world that exist around the world, including 112 minute, I think, European cut. Uh, I watched the full three hour version. Um, and to be frank, I kind of wish I found the European cut of this film. I've been meaning to watch it for a while because I'm a, a big fan of Toby Hooper um, and I've just never got to it. So it stars David Soul. Um, and it's basically set in the town of the kind of stereotypical Midwestern U.S. town of, of Salem's Lot. Um, people start going missing, kids start disappearing, uh, and it turns out uh, an evil vampire has taken up residence uh, in, uh, in a creepy-looking home on the hill. Um, the first half is, quite frankly, a very, very long slog where not a lot happens. Actually, it shares some of the problems that the, the three-hour version of It had um, in the fact that it's just too long. Uh, maybe if you've been watching it, you know, maybe it's how I watched it. I did watch it in two hour and a half parts, but it just takes a long, long time to get going. When it does get going, it's very good. There's some very creepy set pieces. The the kind of finale that sets up in, in the house where they go after the, the vampire Barlow, who uh, I, my wife wasn't amused. I kept calling Gary Barlow. Uh, it's not that funny, to be fair, but I've brought it up anyway. Um so, yeah, there's some very creepy, very, very creepy bits towards the end that actually evoke uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the way that the house is set up and the atmosphere that it builds. So it gets very good towards the end. But I would say it's a bit of a slog. At some point, I would be interested to watch the 112 minute cut because I think that would be actually pretty good. But certainly it's not up there with my favorite two Hooper films, unfortunately. Uh, Pete, over to you. Well, I was just going to tag on the end of that port. Can I assume yeah. that you've got the steel book or did you watch this elsewhere? No, um, Laura managed to find a US release of this, of all people. So my wife bought a US Blu-ray, so that's quite impressive. But no, I don't have to still look now. Oh, she doesn't know anything. <laughs> she I know, she must. <laughs> So, no, I don't have a still book of this, unfortunately. Not I yet, was, anyway. I was saying to a, a mutual friend of ours that I went to this show with yesterday that uh, I wanted to dub you uh, Been There, Done That, Bought the Steel Book because <laughs> of the way that I just assume. Like, when you're doing a popcorn review, I'm like, yeah, Paul's got a new steel book in his collection, then I guess it's this one. But not in this case. Um, not in this first, case, no. First for me this week is a documentary that I caught up with through Film 4. I, I've been getting through a lot of Film 4 stuff that I've recorded recently. Uh, this one, tremendous. It's called Stretch and Bobito, Radio That Changed Lives. And it tells this story. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the story of uh, Stre- DJ Stretch Armstrong and Bobito, who was the like presenter, who basically got um, places at university, at college in, in America, and had been doing a bit of sort of pirate radio stuff going in. And so they asked the college, I think it was Columbia uh, College, coming out of New York, they asked if they could set up a radio station um, that was going to focus on hip hop music purely and, and only, 
uh, and first were almost sort of laughed off the campus, but eventually got this thing up and running. And it turned into this incredible place where, like, if you name someone who's got a, like, big reputation in historical hip-hop of the kind of late 80s, early 90s to sort of mid-90s era, they went through this studio that was basically a student radio place. So, like, to, to name a few... <laughs> Excuse me. We've got the likes of like, well, LP comes up early and everyone knows LP now, but like Big Pun and uh, Be Real from Cypress Hill. We've got um, the Fugees went through there, Common. I mean, like anyone, Rosario Dawson, because I always like to throw her into the mix. Um, <laughs> almost anybody that you could think of who was significant uh, at that time just ended up with these two guys. Stretch Armstrong looks like a, a sort of beanpole, gawky, Jewish white guy. And Bobito's this uh, Hispanic, like stocky little guy. And um, they look like the least likely pairing to be like hip-hop royalty. But that is what they are. So you get all of these, you get like Jay-Z and stuff in the documentary saying oh no, I had no confidence when I came through here. But what they did in the studio is they let MCs go to the mic and freestyle either written or off the top verses that weren't going out anywhere else. A lot of them be like unreleased. They weren't on records. So what the audience was doing was hitting like we did back in the day. You can remember this, I'm sure, Paul, as I do, that you used to have to hit play and record on your tape deck and yes. then make a tape like of the radio yeah. and so Stretch and Bobito's show became this thing which was like tape traded not only in America and sort of beyond New York of course but around the world so within a week of their show people in like Scandinavia or or Asia or whatever would have the tape of what went down on their show it's an incredible thing to witness this like period of history encapsulated in this documentary which I think is sort of lovingly and smartly and slickly put together where although it is basically a stream of talking heads I've seen plenty of things that don't do a great job of making that compelling whereas this thing here if you're at all into hip-hop music or the culture or any of that stuff this is like a dream like I just wanted it to go on for for four hours rather than the like two or or less than it actually lasts. So, yeah, a big recommendation if you're into that stuff. It's called Stretch and Bobito, uh, Radio That Changed Lives. And I believe it came out in, like, 2015, so it's been out a few years. Cool. Is it on film for at the moment, or do you say it recorded it on no, there? So is it doing the rounds? Or? it's on recently. They might show it again, but otherwise I'm sure you can track it down. I mean, yeah. probably the... the the uh, the honest way to watch this would be on like some crummy VH, VHS tape that's like falling <laughs> apart to like pay your dues to those guys. But yeah, really really good stuff. What's second for you, man? Uh, I caught up with a film that I, I uh, I've been dubious about watching it for a while. And to be honest, I was proved right. Uh, this is 2016's Money Monster, which I believe you've seen, Pete, directed by Jodie Foster of all people, made this film. Um, so this stars. Um, it's got a very starry cast: George Clooney, Julia Roberts, um, James O'Connell, or is it James O'Connell? Is that correct? Jack O'Connell. Jack O'Connell. Yes, yeah, sorry, my handwriting is atrocious. Jack O'Connell, uh, Dominic West. Um, and the premise of this is George Clooney is kind of like, I suppose, this financial pundit that has a TV show um, where it's very over the top kind of US or theatrical TV show about the financial markets um, and shares in a certain company debt take a dive. Jack O'Connell's character comes up and essentially takes him hostage on stage uh, and I think blame, initially blames him for losing or losing all the money he's invested due to due to the stocks and shares uh, collapse. 
Uh, Julia Roberts is like the producer on the show floor um, and also appears to be um, such so competent at kind of anti-terrorism and takes control of the whole situation when the police are incapable of it. Um, what a load of nonsense, Pete. Do you want to, you have seen this, haven't you? I, I um, loathed this movie. I just, it was one of the worst films. Whichever year you said it, it came out in, like, it's, the, it's one of the worst films that came out that year. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like right down there in the in the pits. You know, like, like the end of last year, we did that worst films of the year. If we'd done yeah. it the year before, it would have been on there for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not far behind you, to be honest, because it was just terrible. I mean, the whole thing is such utter nonsense. Like, so at some point, Jack, so Jack O'Connell turns out not to be the bad guy, or is he? And then George Clooney starts, George Clooney possibly starts working with him at some point. Uh, and there's this whole ridiculous scene where they're walking through through New York, um, escorted by the police, and no one takes out Jack O'Connell as the terrorist. And then you've got Dominic West just, just phoning it in, as he always does, as, as, the, as the corporate villain of the piece. And I understand the message it's trying to deliver, that money's bad, and these, these, these greedy fat cats are there. But this, so this thing is so on the nose, and so ridiculous, that I just I can't believe it attracted the talent it, it attracted, to have be you, honest. Paul, have you seen The Onion Movie? Uh, no, I don't think I have. I'm aware of the onion, but no. Well, I mean, maybe it's I don't know because you've come out of this not liking this movie, so it maybe wouldn't make too much difference. But another thing that undermined Money Monster is I couldn't get this sequence out of my head. That's towards the end of this ridiculous, as you know, like the onions, a satirical kind of web newspaper yeah. thing. But like at the end of it, um, Steven Seagal plays a character called Cock Puncher who has to try and uh, foil a terrorist plan by punching everyone's cocks. But it's set right. in like a TV studio and it seems okay. so um, of a piece with like the, the level of ridiculous in Money Monster that I wanted to be watching that movie instead because at least it made me laugh. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. There is one redeeming feature of Money Monster though. What is that? There is one redeeming feature. Is that it continues me to complete my set on what I'd like to refer to for a number of years now as McNulty Watch. So any film that Dominic West is in, based on his character of McNulty in The Wire, I can tick this off my McNulty watch list because Dominic West is in this. So that's my only positive I can take from it. If anyone's still playing that game, uh, which I think me and one other person played about 10 years ago, so nobody probably. But yeah, that's that's the only positive I can take from this. From what you said, <laughs> do you not like Dominic West slash McNulty as an actor? At, at times, I think he's uh, he's he, he's in a quiet... He can be good, he can be very bad. I think I think... He is. He has his moments where he is terrible for phoning in performances. Uh, uh, Lara Croft's dad in Tomb Raider, for example. Um, yeah, in the other films, he's very, very good. In the other TV series, he's very good. He's incredible in The Wire. So, um, yeah, I just, I think it was when Facebook was still quite a new thing, like many years ago, me and a couple of people were like, oh my God, we've come up with this group called McNulty Watch. Every time you see a film with McNulty and you put it in this Facebook group. So that's where McNulty Watch comes from. Um, yeah, and that's the only redeeming feature. <laughs> That's it. Well, I, can't, I really we can't it promise terrible. that McNulty Watch will be a regular feature on our show, <laughs> but you never know. You know, if we get short of ideas, bring it yeah. in. Um, <laughs> That'll be it. The one feature is just McNulty Watch, and then we're out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a very, very niche specialist podcast. Yeah. Um, my second pick for popcorn movies this week is I was going to talk about The Lady from Shanghai, but I'm too tired to do it justice, so I might save that one for like next week. It was really good. But um, the one that I'm going for instead is Life of the Party, which has just come out. It's on wide release at the moment. Directed by Ben Falcone. This one stars Melissa McCarthy. It's very much like a Melissa McCarthy vehicle. She is, you know, a bit daft and sort of funny looking and stuff. Um, in this, uh, you know, series of, of hijinks and japes, 
she, um, well, at the beginning, it doesn't sound funny. Her marriage breaks down because her husband has been cheating on her. That he, he reveals this, like, immediately at the beginning of the movie and very callously says that he's having an affair with someone else and he's leaving her. And basically, she realises that she's sort of thrown 25 years of her life down the drain. So she wants to try and redeem herself by going back to college and finally pursuing the archaeology degree that she dropped out of to have her daughter. Turns out, though, Paul, you never guess it, her daughter's at college and they end up going to the same college and being like kind of sorority sisters. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's real bonkers. Um, I mean, w- what's good here uh, to to pick through the bones of the thing? It's not great. I mean, you know, kind of what you're getting if you look at the poster for this. It's like a load of people looking like they're having a right old good time to try and convince you that it will be fun. Um, it, what's good? Maya Ru- Rudolph's in it, uh, of course. Uh, P.T. Anderson's wife, but also a really fine comedy actress in her own right, and she's probably, I would say, the, the best thing. Uh, Gillian Jacobs, that everyone knows from Community and, and now uh, like Love and stuff like that, she's in it and she's fine. She doesn't get much to do. I don't mean fine like that, but she is also fine like that. She doesn't get a great <laughs> deal to do in this, so she, she's just kind of there. Um, it's fun seeing Julie Bowen. You know Julie Bowen, who plays the wife in Modern Family. Yes, um, yeah. she, they do a sort of little riff on that because in this thing she plays a lawyer and of course, um, oh no, not a lawyer, no, a, um, a, a property, what do you even call that? I'm tired. An estate agent. Real estate agent. Yeah, real estate, real estate agent, that's real it. Estate, like yeah. her husband, of course, does in this show. Realtor, I mean, realtor, that's the realtor, that's yeah, I, I'm really yeah. reaching. I mean, oh, and Christine Aguilera, it's in, it's in the credits for the film, it's not a surprise. Christine Aguilera pops out and does a little cameo and a bit of singing and stuff. But um, all in all, it, you, you know, you, you pays your money and you know what you're getting really with this one. Uh, there's going to be like some dance scenes. There's going to be like some wacky falling over. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, does she fall over? I hope so. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's like, Melissa McCarthy has fun. Like she has fun with the idea that like she goes back to college, but instead of being sort of a sensible mumsy type, she's actually a bit of like a sexually like predatory older woman who's like schooling younger men in the you know the ways of, of life. Jack, I like the way I like the way he said sexually predatory older woman and you just gave him you just gave Pete like a look going now I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> yes I mean, you can still see it you guys. It's at the cinema at the minute. Yeah I like Melissa McCarthy. It's not a great movie. She'll make better ones but it's called Life of the Party. Uh anything else from anyone else? Jack have you gotten to see much this week? I managed to rewatch Jurassic Park, the first Jurassic Park, uh, the weekend, and I was surprised that actually it's kept it's kept itself good. I suppose. Um, kept itself good. It's fucking fantastic. Yeah, it's one of the greatest films of all time, Jack. I know. Okay, I suppose it is. But it stands up. That's what the cool kids up, say. I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, that works for me. Um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed myself watching it again. Uh, very lazy Sunday, so that was good. I haven't really got much to say other than it was uh, good. With the, with the sort of benefit uh, maybe of hindsight or of just the other movies that have come out in that franchise at this point, do you did you find yourself looking at some of the CGI and stuff and thinking that it, it looked a bit ropier? Or do you still feel like you can go back to that and experience it in a similar way to what you did when obviously I'd imagine you were like a young a young kid? I suppose from a kid? film that was released in 1993, obviously CGI has improved greatly from then but it was kind of ahead of its time but it was yeah and i time. think that's it still has its its effect 
and uh, that was. I think the t- personally, I think the T Rex in it looks better than the T Rexes do now in, Jura- yes. in Jurassic yeah, World definitely. because it's because those are because those are part animatronic, part CGI creations. Models, but well. a couple of the effect scenes, as much as it breaks my heart to say this, the bit with the brachiosaurs at the beginning, some of the effect scenes haven't aged well. The pure CGI scenes haven't aged particularly well. But I would go to bat and say the Velociraptors look better in Jurassic Park than they do in Jurassic World. And I actually thought that the CG in Jurassic World was a bit crap comparatively to to a lot of other things. Yeah, especially and I, now they've obviously released the new Jurassic World trailer and it's got a very weird looking dinosaur in it yeah i'm not convinced i'm not convinced by that so pete uh, pete though has got a theory on why it might be good i think <laughs> no i wasn't actually i'll, I'll keep that one in my, in my back pocket for later but like i uh no just funnily enough you mentioning this at this time and jack talking about jurassic uh, park i for the first time i saw the fallen kingdom trailer just today actually and, oh um, okay but yeah in the in the uh pre uh, oh, God, previews before Deadpool 2. Uh, Yeah, yeah, in those previews, I saw it and all I could think about as it was playing out, because I was like quite enjoying it, but in the back of my mind was just you going like, that looks fucking stupid. (laughs) Whatever. It does uh, though. Yeah, I don't know, you guys. I might might go to, to, you know, go to bat for Fallen Kingdom by the time that it comes out but we'll see it's not too far off is it so it's only a few weeks away so we will yeah, find out not long to wait we'll have a review in due course um if by the way you um are in agreement or disagreement with our summings up a very brief summings up of those films get at us we're on social media you know where to find us we talk about it enough so um yeah we'll be back in just a moment with the section that we call coming attractions So we are back with, as we mentioned before, coming attractions. This is the section of the show where we talk about a trailer for an up-and-coming film that we are excited about. Uh, Pete, what have you got? To let, let, I'll let you go first. First of all, generous. Got, oh, thank you. I've got this false. Uh, <laughs> I've got this sort of claim that, that you're committing a bit of false advertising. Uh, yeah, sorry, because yes. we don't talk about a fucking. Tra- I don't even like trailers. We talk about an upcoming movie of any kind, and I'll tell you why I'm so adamant about this. Because I'm picking a film that won't have a trailer for ages. Uh, my my pick for a coming attraction this week was basically uh, announced, I guess, um, via the social medias of all the people involved during the Cannes Festival this last week. This one is called 355, or at least the working... It sounds like a terrible title to me, but the the working title is 355. It's directed by uh, Simon Kimberg, who is the producer, sort of headline producer on Deadpool 2, and he's also doing X-Men Dark Phoenix. Yeah, he's basically... He's kind of been the Kevin Feige of the X-Men franchise since the start of Brian Singer, so he's uh, overseen pretty much all the X-Men films, I think, in the production capacity, so... Yeah. And British as well, isn't he? he, he I looks, didn't know that, but okay. Yeah, he's British. He, he looks quite smarmy, but I'm judging him off his IMDb picture alone, so apologies to Mr. Kimberg. Um, <laughs> this one's also, you know, you know why I'd be excited, man, because this is written by Teresa Rebeck, who is responsible for writing the story story for the uh, screen adaption of Catwoman. So, uh, Oh, well, know, every, every reason to be excited. <laughs> buy your advance tickets, guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, the real reason, you know, joking aside, the real reason is if I read you at least four of these five names, you don't probably need any more convincing to get yourself uh, G'd up for this. They are uh, in the cast, Lupita Nyong'o, Jessica Chastain, Penelope Cruz and Marianne Cotillard. And then joining them is uh, an actress called Bing Bing Fan, who is a Chinese actress, I think, of some reputation in China, maybe not so much in the West. But like, 
those first four so big in their you know set on their separate paths at the moment with stars sort of shining so brightly that when they come together it could just be a big money grab cash in horrible blamange of a film but i'm hoping beyond hope that it isn't because i you know i really like those people and uh yeah it could be could be something really quite good i think yeah i'm with you on that to be fair with that cast uh, it would take it would take a special it would take a special kind of bad writer or director to mess up that cast so um yeah. and yes I, and although, I think... although it happened before the councillor had an incredible cast and was and ridley scott managed to ruin that so there is yeah, there is possibility but hopefully all don't. i hear Do is bad so, yeah. It. yeah yeah it's bad but no I'm, I'm with you on that what was the title of that again sorry three at, at the moment it's called three right. five five okay as in just digits numbers what have you right. got paul uh, I've got one uh, that I believe Jack has watched this trailer this week as well, so I'll bring Jack in here as well. Uh, this is Black Klansman, um, the latest Spike Lee joint, um, interestingly produced by Jordan Peele. Um, so he's obviously made up with... Did Spike Lee make some comment about he wasn't happy that uh, Daniel Kaluuya had been cast as an American black person in um, Get Out? I think he might have done. So they've obviously made friends because Jordan Peele is now producing his latest film. So that's nice to know. Yeah, um, and I, I don't think Spike Lee is averse to having his name in the press. So maybe no, that's part of true. It as yeah. well. But yeah, this is and and it's difficult to convey in like an audio show. But this is Black Klansman with a KKK in the middle of it, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So this is um, this is I think based on a true story. Um, I would say probably loosely based as most films of film, film adaptations are. Uh, it stars John David Washington and Adam Driver. John David Washington, I think, is the, was the first I forget which area this is set in now John David Washington's Colorado Police so he was the first black officer in the Colorado Police yeah. Force uh, and he uh, he rings up the head of the the KKK um, to try and infiltrate them and there's a hilarious bit in the trailer where he says how much he hates all the other races basically um, <laughs> yeah. and gets on board with the KKK that way using his voice um, and then Adam Driver plays the other officer who represents him at clan meetings um, it looks like it might be it to me from this it looks like a bit of a return to form for Spike Lee who hasn't been on incredible form of late I have to say um, and it does look like they're playing kind of that they are playing it it's almost like uh, controversy set sort of Tarantino style black black comedy yeah, no pun intended like I think it seemed a little bit from um, the trailer I would say so I think it's going to be slightly dark, darkly comic, shall we say. Um, early Buzz, though, I was checking this out. I don't know if you've seen in the Early Buzz about this film. Uh, it's not particularly great. Well, it's um, on IMDb that it's 79 Metascore. The Metascore is 79, yeah. I saw kind of conflicting information looking at this because yeah. you've got an average, what would be like user review, early user review score that sits at 5.4, which would seem like not so great. But then you've got critics coming in at 79. I don't know how many that's based off, but yeah. 11 by the looks we'll of it. We'll see. But I don't think we've got too long to wait. It is out this year. Twenty-fourth um, of August, apparently. If nothing else, that the, that concept alone is is enough to is enough to drag me into the screen. And you know, Spike Lee has made some incredible films, and on he and when he's on form, is is a very very good filmmaker. Yeah, that's, so, um, that's where I wanted to jump in a second ago. Is just yeah. to like be contrarian because I thought Chai Rack was really good. Did I still haven't caught up with it. No, I still haven't seen it. I need to watch it then. If I'm if I'm blasting the man's recent form, and I haven't seen it. <laughs> was that his last film? I. Th- think so because he's been doing tv stuff uh since yeah. documentaries like, that one was 2015 although i think we might have got it here in 2016 so not that okay. long ago well i i if i if i will if i like that i will i will alter my um, i will alter my standpoint i will take it back spike lee if i watch i reckon like it i will take that back if you're listening which you definitely aren't but <laughs> <laughs> uh 
watch this space for the response from Mr. Spike Lee. We'll be back in just a moment with today's feature review, which is Deadpool 2. So uh, we are back to set up, if, if you weren't aware, there's uh, this character called Deadpool. He's in the MCU. Is that right, Paul? Not strictly at the moment, no. But he's, he's a Marvel character. <laughs> he's a Marvel character, see, that's, yeah. see, this is where I fall into like, <laughs> the, yeah. like, the Badlands, because I assume that if you're a Marvel character, you're in the MCU, but that's not quite how it works, is it? I don't think. No, he's not quite in the MCU yet. He's in the Fox. He's owned by Fox. Um, he's kind of part of the X-Men universe. Well, yeah, I suppose he is part of the X-Men yeah. universe. Uh, as opposed to the MCU. So he exists in the same universe as Wolverine, uh, Professor X, the McAvoy, the McAvoy X-Men film. So that, that universe. Right. So, so just, you know, getting into this before we get to the actual film. So does that mean then, presumably, that characters you see in something like Deadpool 2 can't suddenly be transplanted into that main MCU? Well, it's funny you should say that because with Disney buying Fox, the plan is for them to integrate the X. They've said the long-term plan is for them to integrate the X-Men into the MCU further down the line. So it could all get confusing again, and you'll probably need another lesson at that point. But we'll uh, <laughs> we'll do a special. <laughs> we'll prior to that, we'll do a special, which explains all of it. So, so uh, yes, to set this one up, of course, um, you'll be aware that. Uh, Deadpool himself was played by Ryan Reynolds, the Canadian actor. He's quite well known. Um, and he plays this sort of foul mouth mutant mercenary guy who went through his, you know, hero backstory in the first film. And now we find him telling the audience as the kind of the, the meta tone of the first film and this one um, are want to do, telling the audience, breaking the fourth wall, telling the audience that this is a film in which he is going to die. Um, at the point at which we discover that this is a, a reality is after the loss, and I don't think that, I, I'm allowed to talk about this, right? It's not a spoiler to say. Yeah, I don't know. It's not in the. It's not really in the trailer, though, is it? So, okay. I mean, if, if we say loss, spoiler warning, yeah, after a loss, yeah, should we after say after a big yeah. loss that you couldn't possibly guess if you you know you've seen any <laughs> yeah. films ever. Uh, after a big <laughs> loss, he decides that he sort of can't go on anymore. And then he's set off on this other path where he's got to essentially, um, for what it's worth in a film like Deadpool 2, he's essentially got to kind of find where his heart should be or put his heart in the right place or whatever terminology they use to describe it in the movie. But basically, he's got to um, try and sort of redeem himself and take on a, a sort of hero's quest that will bring him to the place where he wants to be uh, without spoiling anything early in the film. Have I done okay? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, in, into the mix, into the mix. So he ends up having to defend the bot. He defends a, a, a teenage mutant. Um, not a teenage mutant ninja turtle. I'm not going there with it. Uh, he defends a, a teenage mutant who is having trouble, shall we say, controlling his powers, played by the kid from Hunt from the Wilder People, Julian whose Denison. name was completely... Julian yeah. Tennyson. I, I um, was going to say, not just any teenage mutant kid, Paul. Yes, not just, not any, just any teenage mutant the, kid. The no. absolute uh, and into into the mix uh, in not in a way that's not unlike a Terminator, as as Deadpool, you would have, of course expect does reference at some point in the film. Uh, Josh Brolin's Cable appears um, as a cyborg uh, super soldier from the future who is hunting uh, aforementioned child um, because he has some impact on the future, and I think that pretty much sets up the premise. That's um, more than good enough. So before we get into our actual thoughts, here's a little clip. Everyone calm down. The pros are here. I, we're the X-Men. What are you doing? My job. 
You're the one who said I was ready, and I frankly disagree with you. But here we are, trying to overcome our differences. Like Beyonce says, please, please stop cheating on me. Hey, this is the fifth incident. This kid needs to be in the icebox, not here. Russell belongs in our care, not in prison. I assure you, we have everything under control. Not getting a real under-control vibe here, Marty. It is Glenn, isn't it? Daniel. I'll ask the questions. Let me talk to the kid. You stay here with your weird secret sex lips. So with phrases like weird secret sex lips, you know that we're in a very specific <laughs> terrain with Deadpool 2. Now, Paul, coming out of Deadpool uh, 1, or the, the first movie, I, I believe we must have reviewed it on the show, right? I can't remember if we did or we didn't. It Maybe seems to be... It was hiatus at the time. It, we might have been hiatus. Uh, yeah, coming out of Deadpool 1... Um, the more the more time I've spent with Deadpool One, and this is relevant to what I'm going to talk about Deadpool Two, the more I think, although it was funny, I actually thought the film itself was pretty average. Mm. Uh, Ryan Reynolds was good; he stole the show. The meta jokes were good, and again, it was an amusing experience. Not that I didn't enjoy it, but the origin story was very cliché. The villain was shit, uh, and bits of the film for me felt quite flat. Um, the more you watch it, I think the more the weaknesses, the more the weaknesses of the first Deadpool come up. So it was with a lot of excitement when David Leitch was announced as the director of this because he was one of the co-directors of the original John Wick and Atomic Blonde. Um, so he's a man referenced in the movie. I mean, there's, yes. there's nothing yeah. Yeah. in terms yeah. of the ability to reference things that is missed by the script writers here. No. And, and, you know, just to, to tag on to what you were saying about the first movie, I definitely came out, I think, more negative than you. Like, I just yeah. felt that the first movie, as much as some of the visual flair was kind of fun, and as much as I, I like Ryan Reynolds, uh, by and large, I found that the just overall tone of it was like sort of lab bro-ish enough. Um, and there were enough sort of like slightly homophobic innuendos and things like that to just kind of turn me off to the whole endeavour, which was to be, you know, oh, so very meta and sort of escape criticism in in that particular escape pod. Coming into this, to be fair, I had booked uh, IMAX tickets and sort of going in, I thought, have I wasted my money on that <laughs> upgrade? Doing, yeah. Having said that, and we'll get more into why as we go along, I like this movie quite a bit, actually. Um, and I'm, I'm keen to hear what you thought and why you thought that maybe it's bested the first film, if indeed you think that is the case. It's, I'm saying it now. It's one of the few sequels that's definitely better than the original. I enjoyed it. I would say I enjoyed this a bit more than the first film, I have to say. I think the, the film had a better story. Um, the characters around Deadpool were more interesting. Josh Brolin's Cable, I thought, w- was a very good sort of straight guy to Deadpool. Uh, they played off each other very well. His, his annoyance with him the whole time was amusing. Um, you've got the the Domino character played by the girl you mentioned earlier. I've forgotten who. Yes. Uh, she, was, she, was, she was on very good form. Um, and... The, yeah, and again, I think, yeah, I just, I just really enjoyed it. It was a whole lot of fun. The set, the scale was there. The set pieces were much better shot, as you'd expect from David Leach. Like some, some of the fight scenes were superb. Um, and yeah, as a, as a piece of popcorn entertainment, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I have to say, I think so it was good. You mentioned this, this, you know, new inclusions in the the cast of characters that sort of circulate around 
Deadpool. And um, central to that is that he puts together, very knowingly and winking at the camera the whole time, he puts together this sort of hit squad dream team, uh, in inverted commas, of uh, different characters who have to sort of audition for the right to join his <laughs> squad, which comes to be known as the X-Force in order to avoid being... Which is a comic book, which is a comic book force, by the way. So and we expect an X-Force film. Yeah. Well now, right? yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that is a, that is a squad. Yeah. But um, um, yeah, in, in that squad, you've got Zazie Beats, who we mentioned, who is going to be a giant breakout star it seems like i mean she's already yeah been on atlanta and she's uh been in a couple of oh she was in easy the the tv show um she's popped up in a couple of other things i think on maybe even on the big screen but yeah she she's doing great stuff but then around her we've got like all these little uh cameo things going on in that squad so like the rob delaney character uh, rob delaney that people know for yeah. stuff like <laughs> catastrophe with sharon horgan he plays a superhero who has no superpowers because he just applied because it looked like it might be interesting to be involved he's called peter and he can essentially do nothing except be slightly <laughs> perturbed and scared by and the there situation is- there is one particular scene that involves high winds that just had me in yeah. stitches. Oh, brilliantly, brilliantly executed. <laughs> it's really, really absolutely fun. brilliant. And you do not what happens, you do not see coming. It's it's just great. No. You know, well this this has got this the scale's got quite large here, and then it just gets so silly. Yeah. And that for me, I was at that point I was like, right, I'm just, I'm totally into this. This is yeah. very, very funny. And all of that bit. Terry Crews turns up at one point. Terry Crews um, is in there, has fun and then you know, for five minutes. Uh, uh, what's his face? Skarsgård. Uh, Bill Skarsgård, yeah. who of course was in It not that long ago. Uh, Bill Skarsgård comes in as this like, um, what's his character? Zeitgeist. And then the, they ask him, oh, is that because you have your finger on the pulse of modern culture? And he's like, no, it's because I can vomit acid bile or something like that. <laughs> Just that kind of touch is lovely. And like what you were saying about that set piece, which we won't spoil because it's like really enjoyable as Paul says, as like popcorny entertainment. But uh, the the... The movie at every turn knows that it's going to um, go past your expectations in so much as like there's a line in the sand which we're all familiar with with comic book movies, uh, particularly of late, where there's going to be this amount of peril and then there won't be any more peril after that. But Deadpool kind of flips that whole idea on its head or flips it off, probably more like would be appropriate for this movie. Yeah. And, and sort of says to hell with that. We can just kill off anyone we want. We can damage anyone we want. We can brutalize whichever characters. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, we can just well, run ourselves Deadpool out. Deadpool in this as well. I mean, the things that happen to Deadpool in this are amazing. If you think, yeah. if you think about it, if you think through it, like the, the, the injuries, the injuries he's the sustains in this are just absolutely ridiculous. And, and, and they're like, oh, we can heal. <laughs> the, the healing of legs section is a treat yes. as well. A, yes. a real it, treat. It even tops the the creepy hand section from the first film. But yeah, and I think it. it, it I think it knows what it is. I've read, I've read some criticisms of this. Oh well, well, it's I'm out because it, the first one kind of the first one was was such good at spoofing the films, and then they've just made a generic sequel which takes away any impact of the fact it's spoofing films. It's still a Hollywood product. Like they're going to make money out of it. Like they announced the sequel at the end of the first one. But I think if you know this is the way to do a sequel. For me, it was more confident the first one, and just the action beats as they're going into going into those. The set pieces I think were really good in this, whereas they were lacking a little bit in the original. And the villain able. Cable is the is he isn't he villain character. Um, you can work that out from the trailers. Is there's, there's great more a grey area to Cable. Um, 
he's great in this. Um, there is, I think, it don't. This is a spoiler, so try and ignore what Pete said at the beginning of the episode. There's a classic X Man character that makes an appearance uh, later on in the film that was that's previously I, I was, been. I was bumbling. just bumbling any old shit, mate. I don't really know the yeah. names of most of the uh, comic book okay. characters. So, I so there's, a there's a nice, there's a nice surprise. Yeah, there's a nice surprise of a, yeah, there's a nice surprise of a Marvel character in this. Um, yeah, be- better than the original, and I, and, I rather enjoyed this. I have and, to say. And we, we would not be doing justice to like ourselves or this movie if we didn't just circle back to the boy Julian Dennison because this is the little kid who was uh, living the Skucks life in uh, <laughs> the world of people and continues to basically live the Skucks code in this thing as this like he just is the same guy he's like got his yeah. New Zealand accent intact he's called Fire Fist? Fire Fist, yeah. In this yeah, movie. he calls himself Fire Fist, yeah, which definitely right. finds amusing, which is great. <laughs> right, and, and he, but he's got all these chances. Like, they've, the, the team behind the movie have obviously got enough faith in this kid to, like, give him all these moments to shine, right? So he gets to deliver these lines where he just walks out of, like, a burning building is like, I love being a gangster or whatever. And it's just, like, so enjoyable to see this guy who exploded into the popular consciousness with that movie be given the chance to just like free wheel over a, a huge you know multi-million dollar budget thing like this with all the the bells and whistles and explosions and stuff so i was all about that jack also you were you were jones in earlier on to talk i think about zazie beats and i know we've mentioned her already but like what a performance from her as well like she's got to get her own action movie at some oh point. yeah absolutely not, I don't even mean necessarily as this domino character. I mean, we've talked about this recently, right? Like when we talked about... Um, oh, Charlie's Angels. Yes, that's right. Yeah, where like these kind of powerful, you know, capable female heroes uh, are, are cropping up and more power to them. And hopefully, yeah, she gets to do something like that if, she, if that's the way she wants to go in the next I think if, if I'm going to knock it slightly, it's the fact that some of the, uh, some of the supporting characters like Zazie beats Domino in this probably don't get quite enough room to breathe. And there are times where I think more so than the first one, Deadpool, um, certainly I'd say in the first sort of 20 minutes, Deadpool does edge more towards annoying than funny. At times it almost feels that I think the other characters could have been given just a little bit more room. Um, if that's, would you say that's a fair comment? Yeah, or I just... would kind of. Although if you think at the, like a lot of the, the uh, screen time that actors get feels like a kind of power play like whoever's the biggest box office gets the most time mm. and considering yeah. Zazie Beats is known fairly minimally I would say at this point to give her those sequences because her you know yeah, again not fair. a spoiler her superpower is in the trailer is that she's quite lucky but like what they do with that I think is is like a it must have been such a, a, a treat for her to read that part and be like oh I just get to look absolutely incredible at every turn <laughs> yeah. and be you know uh, completely immune to injury or death I mean I, I but really it's the, that, but that it's, the, it's the, the negasonic teenage warhead character as well from the first film I don't think she gets enough to do that no, is the because no, because they her because her interplay with Deadpool is incredible because she ha- she clearly hates him and the way she winds him up and the way Deadpool obviously is clearly quite taken with her girlfriend is pretty funny and I don't think she gets enough to do. Yeah, no, and again, like, the, on about that one, yeah. Yeah, the interplay between him and Colossus, I'd like to have seen more of that as well because Colossus like just disappears of him at every possible opportunity. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so those bits are a little bit wasted. But and, yeah, it's, you and, know, and it's, sorry, Paul, just on that as well. Like, Brianna Hildebrand is that girl. And then she's got yes. this girlfriend in the movie who is yeah. called Yokio. 
that fell completely flat for me. I, I don't know. The yeah. joke was that she was kind of cute and, and liked to wave and say goodbye because she's Asian. I, I don't, I don't really. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. Yes, I'm not sure where. Yeah, I'm not sure where they were going with that. And that's what I mean. There were certain bits that, that they could have cut out. Uh, could have cut out even five minutes of Ryan Reynolds' monologue in to include a bit more time with other characters. But that, as I said, that being said, I, I like this quite a lot. To be fair, yeah, think, yeah, um, me too. Yeah. And I, I really didn't expect to. Like, I thought we'd come do the show today, and I knew we only had one feature, and I just felt like I was going to be a downer and kind of be like, oh, it's, it's just juvenile. And I, I actually think going back on what I said to set up that they've toned down the kind of yes there are still you probably uh, you know un, a disproportionate quantity of sort of wanking butt sex gayness jokes but like but that is the character that's the thing that is the deadpool character oh, yeah, so they, I, they have to have that in there to make a deadpool movie if that makes sense yeah i guess if, if, if they're I mean, doing justice to the character have a deadpool movie i mean it is sort of a cash no. machine isn't it but like no having been annoyed by that in the first movie i felt like here it was counterbalanced with like enough smart writing and like genuinely funny lines tj miller's got a lot of good stuff in this one as well maybe even more so than in the first one playing like the barman who just compares stuff to other horrible stuff i mean that is it's like a one note character but it's done really really well so yeah i just i found that like coalesced into something that was more satisfying for me in terms of you know knowing what you're going into which i think everybody is with something like deadpool 2 right at this point I'm going to throw it out there and say I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed Infinity War. There we go. Oh, take I that comic book. That. I enjoyed it. Take that comic book, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, comic guys. Right. <laughs> so um, that was that was a good little chat. We will be uh, no, we won't be back with anything. We're going to finish the show just about now after we do some credits, I presume. Yes, correct. Um, shall I go first? Shall I pay credit to something? Yeah. Do you want to put a little sting in here, Jack, or do you think we don't need it? I don't think we need it. I All right. Just go All right. smoothly in. Just roll straight in, Paul. What have you got? Right, let's do it. Uh, I'm supposed to be uh, looking at my social media. I'm um, a little late to the party with this one. By just before we came on air, I watched the first episode of the YouTube show, Cobra Kai, the follow-on from Karate Kid. Have you guys watched this yet? I've no. heard a lot about it, but I haven't. It's great. It's just so cheesy already. And what's great is the first episode sets up, uh, it starts focusing on the Johnny character, the character that loses the fight at the end of Karate Kid after he gets unceremoniously kicked in the head. Uh, and it picks up with him uh, not having a great time. And Daniel's son, uh, the Karate Kid, is now like this sleazy car dealership owner uh, who keeps popping up on radio adverts while this guy's trying to put his house in order. Um, and actually, yeah, like the, music, the 80s music's there. They've got the same actors to play them both, which is great. Um, it's 27 minutes long, and I'm going to watch all of it. I'm probably going to watch all of it tonight because it was just a lot of fun. So if you haven't seen it yet, the hype is real. Uh, it's right. It was very good from what I've seen of it. So yes, YouTube is the first two episodes are free on YouTube, uh, and then it's on YouTube Red for not much an episode. I think after that. So yeah, mm. nice. that's my credit. What have you yeah, guys got? I think I think I've heard or heard like read people saying similar stuff to you, like good stuff, um, whether it's on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever of late. So yeah, I might I might check that out, especially like you say because it's accessible for free straight away and you can yeah kind of... and it's only half hour episodes as well so it's, right yeah. and i guess that oh. with that model you can sort of dip your toe in and if it's not for you then you haven't lost anything other than a little no. bit of your time so yeah cool um i i'm not going to call this a downer i'm not going to dress it up as anything other than what it is but there's only one thing that i could give credit to really this week or one person and it's not really film related it's not film related at all actually it may have done some soundtrack work at some point um people may or may not be aware that scott hutchison the lead singer of frightened rabbit uh lost his life in the last week 
um, took his own life uh, that's out there in the public domain and I don't want to make this into a sort of like really sad denouement to the show although it is a, a horribly sad event the guy was 36 years of age and I think the the reaction particularly on Twitter shows that he connected with people on like a very very deep and personal level through particularly a lot of his songs written about um, relationships the breakdown of relationships and struggling with the depression that he struggled with in his life but the positive I want to bring out of this apart from all of that great um, warm reaction that I've seen online is that um, Pete Holmes I don't know if you know this guy is an American comedian slash host Uh, he has a show called You Made It Weird it's like an interview podcast show and he has re-released his interview that he did with Scott Hutchison or his more like a conversation that he had with Scott Hutchison for about an hour and a half. Uh, this was recorded, I think, about three years ago uh, now. So before the most recent Frightened Rabbit record um, painting of a panic attack, before that had come out. But it's wonderful because you get such a sense of what a, a just warm, lovely, funny, open-hearted man Scott Hutchison was. And given that he died at an age which, well, you're 36, Paul, right? Correct, yes. Yeah, and, and I'm just, just a little bit below that. But, like, basically our exact age is yeah. where we lost this guy. And, you know, people know this, and I'm not here to preach anyone, but we've lost an awful lot of people to suicide and mental health-related issues in, in even recent history. And I would just compel everyone, everyone not only to listen to that episode because it's sort of life-affirming and lovely, but also to make sure that you reach out to at least one person and just, like, check they're all right. You know, it doesn't take anything to do that. And I think this event has brought that into even starker focus than maybe it's ever been for me. So, um, yeah, Scott Hutchison, rest in peace. And, um, yeah, he's not going to be forgotten, although he is is gone. Jack, have you got anything? Sorry, because that's a horrible way to lead into... I, I, yeah. I do, I do. And, Jack, what have you got? <laughs> well, I had a very nice breakfast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think I can say anything. You're, that, you're, I mean, you're a fan as well, so I know that it's not. Like, Rabbit, so I think, yeah, um, I'm not talking about something that you don't know about. And yeah, yeah sorry. I mean, we do a film show, but we, with all candor, it's been the the thing most on my mind in the last week. So yeah, I just wanted course. to push it in here in this. No, fair, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah, reach out to someone if you don't think they're okay. Certainly. Uh, if you go and see Deadpool, make sure you watch the end credit scene. Oh, it's good hilarious. shout. Yeah, good shout. And it, yes, it's one of the best ones for a while, to be fair. Yes, yeah, let's bring us back up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, the end credit scene. And it's not right at the end of the credits. You don't have to sit right up till the end, which is a relief. Uh, but it is. there's two. Uh, definitely stay for the second one because it's very, very funny. And, and like, a, uh, like a number of things in this Deadpool uh, movie, it's soundtracked with its tongue firmly in its cheek and in, in a really quite wonderful way. Um, and yeah, you'll, you'll find out for yourself once you get there. So uh, enjoy that when you get the chance. Um, that's about it for us. Except, Paul, have you got some shouts? What are the social media deets that people I do? At Strangers Cinema on Twitter, at Strangers in a Cinema on Instagram, where Pete will write a well meaning uh, number of paragraphs about a film and I will give you three lines about a still book. <laughs> Uh, which is why now Pete's put his name next to it and I've had to put my name next to mine. Uh, uh, Strangers in a Cinema on Facebook or strangersinacinema at gmail.com if you want to email us for any reason. Uh, but that's it from us and we will be back next week. I know what we're going to talk about next week as well, Paul. What's that? Films. 
talk about oh, on Chesil Beach. Beach. On Chesil Beach is out on Friday, so I reckon that's a good one. Yeah, and you previewed uh, it before, so I'm looking forward yeah, to it. Solo is out the following week, but I think that will be on the next, the, the week after's episode because I'm just about ready to subject myself to more Star Wars, so yes. <laughs> well, um, I was going to make some joke about Ham Solo relating to you, but I'm not going to do it because I'm too tired. So no, um, <laughs> we'll be back with, new, uh, with more lovely new film chat about this time next week. Until then, see ya. Goodbye. Shut up and sit down.